What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Welcome back, people. Part three of our body weight and nutritional considerations in fitness-based sports, and we are going to conclude our journey with our highest volume, highest food intake sport, the beloved, much aligned CrossFit. So just kind of hearkening back to the previous two that we've done, we started with what I would consider a moderate volume, moderate food intake sport, like something something like bodybuilding. And then we went into a lower energy output, lower food intake sports like, uh, like powerlifting and, and weightlifting. And now we're getting into kind of the highest volume of our four right here, which is CrossFit. And I think just taking a quick side note here, I think that this is something that a lot of coaches struggle with when they start to do nutrition for these sports. They go from something like bodybuilding or something like CrossFit over to powerlifting and weightlifting. They don't realize that the energy demands of the sport are so small that you really have to make some drastic cuts to food to get body weight to move. So if you are a powerlifter, you are a weightlifter and you're watching this and you're like, damn, I wish I could lose weight real quick and I could eat a lot of food. CrossFit might be the sport for you. So let's talk CrossFit here. All right, so just a general overview of how kind of the CrossFit Super Bowl, the CrossFit Games actually works. How do I find myself there? So the first way that you can qualify is by performing well in the CrossFit Open. Now the CrossFit Open, the date that it happens because of kind of the restructuring of the regional and sanctional system in kind of that qualification process, the date of the Open is, is pretty variable or it has been variable over the past couple of years. In 2018, it was end of February into the early part of March, August of 2019, and then this year, 2020, it's going to be October, granted, that, or given that coronavirus goes away in time. Fingers crossed for that one. But October 2020 is what they're saying for when the CrossFit Open will be going down. So you do well there, score high enough on that, get all your scores validated, and you can you know, find yourself high on that points board with an invite to the CrossFit Games. Now, if you don't want to go the open route, or maybe your score wasn't good enough at the open route, um, you can get yourself an invite to a sanctioned event. So one of these, what they call sanctionals now. So these events are November to July across the world, and they're a place where you can either one, score points, or two, win and get an invite. So this is kind of where you go to the United States region sanctional, whatever it is, you win, you become national champion, or you score a lot of points, so then you get yourself in. So the goal here, like I was just saying, it's to score enough points in the open and those sanctioned events to get yourself an invite to the CrossFit Games. 
Now, planning around this can be extremely difficult for Number one, whoever's writing the programming. So the programming coach definitely has the hardest job here, but it's also somewhat complex for those who are running the sports nutrition side of things or the dietetic side of things. Because we wanna make sure that we're in peak condition on that correct date. If you peak for sanctionals, you're at your absolute best, you know, you blow everyone out of the water, and then by the time the games rolls around, you're just out of shape because you couldn't hold that peak condition for long enough, or you know, you've started to ride that wave back down into a little bit of overtraining or deconditioning, you failed. So we want to, as with most periodization approaches, increase fitness as the year goes along and peak at that exact right moment. For a CrossFit athlete, for a high-level CrossFit athlete, that's at the game. So you want to be absolutely peaked. So for the training and nutrition side of things, we really need to put a lot of planning into this. This isn't weeks in advance. This isn't months in advance. This is a year out, sometimes multiple years out from the actual event. So if we look at the importance of body weight in CrossFit, there's two poles or two parallels that I wanna draw some attention to here. And that's high body weight and what can high body weight get you and low body weight and what does low body weight get you in terms of CrossFit performance? Well, with high body weight, most of the time comes high strength. So you're able to squat, deadlift, clean, snatch, quite a bit more than your lighter counterparts. Whereas with the low body weight, you're going to excel in anything that, or most things that aren't strength-based. So gymnastics, bar work, handstands, long aerobic pieces, climbing, so doing that pegboard thing. And also something that people forget a lot is when you are a smaller athlete, so we see this in the literature on females or just smaller less muscle mass, relatively weaker or absolute or in absolute sense, weaker athletes tend to recover faster. So that low body weight can also help you recover in between individual pieces, individual workouts, and from day to day. Remember the CrossFit games spans over an entire weekend. So how well you recover from day to day can be increasingly important or quite important. So what's the answer here? Do I want to be high body weight? Do I want to be low body weight? The answer is let's strike that balance. We need to strike the balance between the two. And a lot of that is individualized. So where do you as an athlete and a competitor perform your best across a wide variety of events? So you do want to, you know, minimize non-functional mass, what we call non-functional mass meaning body fat but not so much that it puts you in this state where you're extremely depleted and you can't perform at your best. So what you won't find on the podium at the CrossFit Games is people who are power lifter or weightlifter, super heavyweight fat, and you also won't find people who are NPC national bodybuilder lean. You'll find it somewhere in the middle of the two. So we call striking that balance. So a good way to say, all right, what's the best body fat, body weight for me, or is just in general actually, is to look at some of the top competitors, to look at the Noah Olsons, the Matt Frazier's, the Tia's, the Danny Spiegel's, these, the Katrins, the Sarah's of the world. What do they look like? 
what kind of body shape are they carrying and what does it do to their performance? So if we look at someone like Noah and Matt, Noah is extremely lean, very, very low in terms of the non-functional mass, does extremely well on, on things where that caters to him, so like gymnastics and stuff like that. But Matt, who struck more of a balanced look, good amount of muscle, relative pretty darn lean by most well, shredded by most standards but pretty darn lean by crossfit standards he's more of that balanced competitor and with danny and and tia tia being the well-balanced example here danny who carries a little bit of a higher body weight is a lot strong does better in those kind of pure strength events than tia does but again we're trying to find that balance you have to do well across an entire swath of fitness events so strike your own balance here find where you perform your best you're not going to perform your best looking like matt looking like noah looking like danny or T tia whatever it is you're not going to find that point where you look exactly like them and you're like oh this is where i'm at my best it's going to be what's best for you so when you are sitting down to kind of write out your in-season nutritional program you still wanna start with the same needs analysis that we started with in all of our other sports. So assess your current body weight, body fat. Do you have body weight and body fat to lose? And then what is the goal? Are we gaining, are we losing, are we maintaining? Are we at a good point right now where we can kinda of just hold steady? We don't have to worry about losing any weight to improve our gymnastics or gaining any weight to improve our strength. Part of that gaining, losing, or main, maintaining decision is going to be identifying your weak areas. So is it strength? Is it anaerobic? Is it mixed modal? Is it kind of your aerobic, long aerobic pieces? Do you Are you like me and you suck at gymnastics because you're a fat boy? And then you want once you've identified your weakness, then you want to say, are these issues where nutrition can actually help me out? Will a change in my body weight, whether that's going up or going down, actually improve my ability to perform X, Y, or Z? Will gaining five pounds increase my squat 1RM? Will losing 10 pounds allow me to handstand walk for a greater distance? And if that change in body weight doesn't take away from your other fitness characteristics, meaning that on a net balance scale, it is a positive, then yes, we should go for it. But if gaining 10 weight or 10 pounds to improve your snatch 1RM means that you can't do a handstand push-up anymore on a net balance that's a negative because for a small improvement you've completely lost a vital skill in the sport. We don't want to run into an issue like that. The other concern is that maybe this is a problem where you just need to throw more training at it. You just need to do more gymnastics work. You just need to do more strength work. You need to increase how much of that you do in your program. And if you are at a point where you're not close to the maximum recoverable volume that you're doing and you can just throw more training in, you need to understand, you or your nutrition coach, need to understand that that additional volume of training requires an additional volume of food. So we need to increase food intake if we truly want to, you know, allow recovery to happen and supply the nutrients needed, the fuel needed for that specific training. Now, and we kind of talked about this at the beginning, but in terms of overall training volume, if you took a hard powerlifting workout and you took a hard bodybuilding workout and you kind of combined them together, you, you might get half 
of the training volume that a top level CrossFit athlete puts in in a single day. So the overall training for volume for CrossFit, what would I call it? I would call it massive. And this has a huge impact on daily nutrition, not only in the amount of calories, the amount of carbohydrate, the amount of substrate that you need in a day, but also in how you're going to time those nutrients. Remember that these are very highly intense pieces of fitness, so you need to separate them out. So how am I timing my nutrients? Where am I putting the majority of my carbohydrates? Where am I putting the majority of my calories? When are my hardest training sessions for that given day? And how does that affect my nutrient timing? We'll talk about that a little bit more on our next slide. The last thing you wanna uh, consider for the in-season period is what career stage are you at? Are you early on in your career or are you a CrossFit Games competitor? Is that two or three pounds of body fat loss or, or body weight gain going to make the difference between you you know, finishing in fifth and getting on the podium? Then yeah, we need to do everything that we possibly can to make that happen. But if you're early on, your priority should really be, I wanna eat to fuel my performance, I wanna feel good throughout the day, and I also wanna feel good in training. So that should be the number one priority early on if you're just developing your CrossFit skills. So the day-to-day in-season nutrition, again, is we wanna ensure maximum quality training every single day. Not every day is going to be a winner, and there's a lot of factors that go into that, but we wanna make sure that nutrition isn't the factor or isn't the main thing that's driving poor performance. So if performance does start to tank, the first thing that I wanna look at is, what is your nutrition, what does your hydration look like, and is that our big red flag or our big error that we wanna correct right away? Now, if you are in season and you are trying to lose weight, you want to lose small amounts of weight at a time. For a bodybuilder, for a powerlifter, because their training isn't super laborious on a day-to-day basis, I don't struggle too much in terms of pushing weight rates of weight loss 0.5 to up to 1% of body weight per week for the higher body fat individuals. But for a CrossFit athlete, especially one who's you know probably a little bit on the leaner side and training quite a bit, we don't want to run these massive calorie deficits because the larger the calorie deficit for a CrossFit athlete, the greater risk there is of it impairing or impeding their training quality from day to day. And the same is true for gaining weight. So the same rules apply. We want to gain at a much slower rate than we do in bodybuilding or powerlifting because those rates of gain can also affect performance. So you put on, I don't know, let's say you put on 12 pounds in a month. All of a sudden you kick up and you can't do a handstand walk anymore or you jump up to do a bar muscle up and you can no longer do a bar muscle up because your body weight has gotten so high. A slower rate of gain would allow your body to adapt to that more so that you could practice the skills slowly without those huge changes and keep that skill in. I'm sure we've all had a scenario like that where, you know, we're at the front end or the back end of a diet and we go to do a pull-up after, maybe we're doing a pull-up after a massing phase. We haven't done pull-ups in a while. We go to do a pull-up. We're up 20 pounds. We can no longer do a pull-up or we're at the end of prep and we've lost a bodybuilding prep. We lost 30 pounds and all of a sudden we can do 12 pull-ups or we couldn't do one anymore. So that can kind of happen in a CrossFit setting where if you gain too fast, you lose some of those skills. So... CrossFit in and of itself is one of the first sports here. I'm not saying that hydration doesn't matter in bodybuilding. I'm not saying it doesn't matter in powerlifting or or weightlifting. But the rate of fluid loss 
in CrossFit because of kind of where the training is done, the location, a lot of it is outside. If you live in a hot climate, that's going to accelerate uh, rate of water loss. A lot of CrossFit gyms have, uh, how are we going to phrase this, less than ideal air conditioning situations. They're in a warehouse. You're sweating more than you ever would in a powerlifting, a weightlifting, or a bodybuilding scenario. So hydration is one or this is the first fitness sport where hydration is a serious, serious concern. It's something that we need to, it's more than just saying, hey, you know, make sure you're getting enough water. This is where we have to time our hydration. We have to be very specific about our recommendations. We have to use things like body weight as metrics of water loss and, and, and water replacement strategies. So with our nutrient timing side of things, we do want to consolidate our carbohydrate-dense meals or just our calorie-dense meals for that matter around the harder training sessions. And I gave you two examples here. So the first example is a 30-minute aerobic piece. Let's say it's a 30-minute light uh, jog of, of five minutes jog, one-minute walk. Repeat that uh, five times for 30 minutes total relatively low intensity and it's an aerobic bout versus maybe a 90 minute strength and mixed modal conditioning session so you've got i don't even know i'm just making stuff up here you got a, a front squat um and then you're also doing uh some clean complex and then after that you've got a you know a, a 30 minute mixed modal imam of the thrusters and wall balls and, and all this sorts of stuff it's very easy to see which of those is the more glycolytic workout and which of those needs more carbohydrate before it or leading into it. It's obviously going to be that 90-minute session. And oftentimes when I have in my own training a split like this where maybe I've got some easy aerobic work in the morning and then some, some, some longer, more intense training later in the day, I can get away with fasting. It's not ideal, but I can get away with going into that first session, the aerobic piece fasted. If I went into the second piece fasted, 0% chance of survival on that one. So make sure you're prioritizing your nutrients around the workouts. Hydration as well. If you found out that you are you know, down four pounds after that afternoon or evening session, it becomes extremely important to get that fluid back in over the course of the rest of the night so that when you wake up for your morning session the next day, you're not already in a dehydrated state. We want to, we want to restore you hydration before going to bed, wake up in a hydrated state so we're ready to go again. Now with things like supplements, relatively the same supplements in terms of what we recommended in, for the bodybuilding, powerlifting, uh, weightlifting section, whey protein, casein protein, if you're struggling to get in enough uh, calories throughout the day or enough protein throughout the day, you can use those. Creatine monohydrate is important, multivitamin, fish oil. But then some different ones might be like an electrolyte solution or a carbohydrate powder during your workout just because of the increased demand for both of those when you are training at higher volumes and sweating at significantly higher volumes. Now, when we get into recovery, and we're gonna talk about this more in kind of like the competition setting, but let's say you've got a competition weekend, you qualified and you're, you're down at Wadapalooza in Miami, and you've got three consecutive days of hard workouts. At this period, at, at this time, and these are kind of much, like very debated, recovery tactics and i think a lot of it just comes from just the bodybuilding setting of using things like cryotherapy and soft tissue work so over the course of a weekend where maybe you've got nine ten very intense workouts spread over two to three days recovery in between those workouts and from day to day is far more important than adaptation to those when you're performing we're not worried about adapting 
you know, muscularly or blunting that inflammation response so that we can allow adaptation to occur. We're just worried about how do I, you know, get all that shitty stuff, all those metabolites, all that swelling, that inflammation, all of those inflammatory markers, how do we get all of that out so that in three hours when we have to go back out there and perform at our absolute best, we can actually do it. So we start to use some of those um, debated recovery tactics like cryotherapy and like soft tissue work to maintain performance over the course of the weekend. So that weekend nutrition, so competition day, whether maybe you're you're just doing an open workout um, or it's over the weekend, so you've got like like the CrossFit Games where it's you know twelve events or whatever craziness it is over three or four days, something like Wadapalooza or one of these sanctionals where you've got nine ten events over a two day period. You do want to pay special attention to timing your food around workouts. So how you time it is going to depend on the training volume the type of the workout, and the proximity to the next workout. So the food within that meal, whether it's leading into a session or after a session, should depend on how voluminous is the session. If it's an eight minute, very quick burner, you don't need as much food as if you were going into like a, the three hour marathon row that we saw at the CrossFit Games, um, either last year, two years ago, something like that. Um, the type of workout, is it predominantly aerobic? Is it predominantly anaerobic? That's going to that's gonna kind of dictate the volume of food and the, the macronutrient split that we put in and the proximity to the next workout. If you've got a very quick turnaround, we know that we need to get in a lot of food and it needs to be easily digestible. That kind of gets into our next point here of the food choices that you make from workout to workout. So I put here, it's not the time to try Indian food for the first time. So what I really mean by that is you want to practice or you want to eat the foods that you practice with leading into competition you should have some sort of practice of kind of how the weekend is going to go put three hard workouts in a single day two hard workouts in a single day and then time your nutrition around that and kind of see how you respond stick to the foods that you used in your trial go with your usual multiple sessions a day structure of meals so that there aren't a lot of unplanned variables that maybe lead to some gi distress or performance decrement because you wanted to get frisky with your food choice i chose um a picture here from katrin um her Instagram where she was I think I cut the caption off here but it looks like she is either eating before a workout or after a workout and she's going into another one it says post workout there um, but yeah you can see some of the food choices that she made there um, it's there's some protein from the eggs a little bit of veggies in there as well and then a ton of carbohydrates so you're faster digesting carbohydrates like the orange juice that she's drinking um, the, the, the abundance of fruit on her plate um, as well as the potatoes for maybe a little bit of a slower digesting, we also got some whole, looks like some whole wheat bread in the background and whoever she's eating with, that's a, that's a nice bicep back there. Whoever that is back there, um, they're also emphasizing sodium, so salting the shit out of your food, making sure that you're getting in those electrolytes that you're sweating out um, during those workouts. So the composition of your meals from a macronutrient standpoint should be moderate protein. It should look like this meal that we've got right in front of us here. Moderate protein, remember that recovery is important over the course of the weekend. We can't just completely tank protein because then by the end of the weekend, our recovery will be impaired. So we do need to have a moderate protein intake, but it's not extremely high, like something you would see in a bodybuilder's diet. Something like 0.8 grams per pound would probably be good enough. You can stick at that one gram per pound if you really want to. Um, I, I don't see any issues with that. 
uh, high carbohydrate just to match up with the higher training volume. The higher the training volume that day was, the more carbohydrate you're going to need to one, fuel, and two, replenish for the day, the next day, the one that's coming up. Um, lower fat. So the reason I put lower fat on here, especially in between sessions, the meals that run in between sessions, is that because fat does um, slow down digestion, does delay gastric emptying, and it can do that for a couple hours. So if you've got you know, a three hour turnaround, but between workouts, you, you had your first workout at, you know, 8am and your next workout for the weekend for the the competition is at 11am. So you put in a really high carbohydrate meal, but then you also put in a lot of fats. The extra fats may delay gastric emptying, may delay the complete digestion process by a couple hours. And then what happens is you've still got some of that food sitting in your your GI system while you're actually doing your next workout, which is one, unpleasant, and two, unproductive because none of it actually made it into the bloodstream. None of that glucose made it into the bloodstream or a limited amount of it made it into the bloodstream to where you could actually use it within that next workout. So keeping fats low for faster digestion as well as fiber, keeping fiber low because fiber does the same thing, slows down digestion. Hydration, also extremely important. So tracking body weight from workout to workout, weigh yourself in the morning, weigh yourself after each workout. We're trying to remember, restore that body weight so that we are in that eu-hydrated state. And then looking for this pale yellow or clear urine color throughout the weekend, just as a way to you know track hydration. Emphasizing things like electrolyte-rich foods and drinks. So your Gatorades, your Powerades that are high in things like sodium and potassium. And then remembering to salt your foods or just, you know, eating very salty foods. Do something like, uh, um, I was watching a documentary with Fraser. He was eating pizza in between workouts. Very salty. Um, or uh, Froning, another one who loved to eat pizza in his hotel room in between CrossFit Games workouts. Nothing special about the pizza, but it is plenty salty, so you will get a lot of those electrolytes back that you sweat out. Finishing up with some off-season nutrition here. So it is kind of rare for CrossFit athletes, especially ones that are kind of at the top of their game, to take a lot of time off. But if you are someone who's early on in your journey and you realize, hey, listen, I would benefit a lot more if I kind of dialed back the competition intensity training and took somewhere around, you know, eight plus months off before I do my next serious competition so I can make some improvements. The main goal in that period is again to ensure quality training every day and we're throwing extra volumes at areas that need improvement and pulling back to maintenance in strong areas. So we do still need to kind of move around some of our nutrition, move around the majority of our carbohydrates and our calories so that when we have those extra or those high volume sessions, we do have plenty of fuel substrate available to uh, uh, get through those sessions. The weight loss and the weight gain guidelines remain the same. If you are going into an off-season period and you decide you want to lose or you do want to gain weight, just make sure that the changes aren't huge from week to week so that it doesn't throw off any of your, uh, your skill work, your gymnastics, your bar work, stuff like that. Nutrient timing, already mentioned, not a lot, change there. Not a lot changes there. Sticking with the same, same kind of principles, putting the majority of your food around those, hardest, or those harder sessions. Uh, macronutrient programming, now that we're out of that competition window, we can kind of bring our protein back up to, you know, that one gram per pound. Fats should be somewhere in that ISSN recommended range of 15 on the lowest end, up to 30% of total calories from fat, and then get the, the rest from carbohydrates. If you are someone who does put in quite a bit of training volume, understand that fats are going to have to come down so that carbohydrates can go up. Supplements. 
not a lot changes there. Again, your protein powders, your carbohydrate powders, uh, your multivitamin fish oils, things like that. We don't have to throw in anything special. Hydration, you know, same stuff. Track your body weight, track your urine color. Make sure that you're hydrating in between your sessions. Watch your sweating rate. You know, if you're someone who can soak through two beach towels like myself, your hydration needs are much higher than someone who is a lighter sweater. Uh, with recovery, we can kind of get away from some of those acute recovery strategies to so the cryotherapy, the, the soft tissue work we can kind of keep in there, but recovery stuff in the off season, really just focusing on having an appropriate amount of training volume, enough stress reduction strategies, getting enough sleep, um, and, and you know, just, just being a reasonable human being, not trying to stack too much training on top, um, and, and just getting over completely overcooked um matt frazier i know you're watching this big big important youtuber like myself matt i know you're watching this i read an article that said you eat 9,200 calories in a day i need to know if that's true i very much doubt that it's true um i think it was like a new york times article or some something crazy like that but that wraps up our nutritional and body weight considerations in fitness-based sports series thanks for coming out Thanks for watching. Drop a like, a comment, and subscribe. You can find me on Instagram at the underscore squat father or at gifted performance. If there's something you'd like me to clarify, you know, just shoot me a DM, shoot me an email. I'd be more than happy to chat. Make sure you make your way over to giftedperformance.com. Sign up for our two-week free trial. Get yourself 15 customized tr training programs that adapt to you as you go. Use the macronutrient programmer, whether your goal is cutting, maintaining, massing, and then navigate over to the meal planning feature that'll let you build out your meals based on your macronutrient profile and hit all of your fitness and health goals. I am the Squat Father. Thank you for watching. Once again, stay gifted.